Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and God's Adventy creatures. I'm Rachel Wren. Adventy. I'm Tim McNinch. <laughs> and uh, you spilled the beans. We're in Advent. <laughs> In fact, this is the first reading for the second Sunday of Advent, which happens on December 6th of this year. And the passage is Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 11. So, so yeah, we are uh, in the first part of second Isaiah here, if we're looking at sort of our uh, Isaiah broken up into three main chunks. Mm -hmm. Isaiah 40 starts a new section here. So up to this point, the book of Isaiah has been mostly warning about impending doom, yeah. right? And there's a transition from that warning at this moment to now kind of speaking from the place of where the the expected trauma has occurred, right? Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I've often been told, and I've said it myself too, that if you're going to understand the Hebrew Bible, you got to understand two events. The first one's the Exodus. The second one's the exile, because everything in the Bible broadly can be understood through the lens of one of those two events for the most part. Um, we've talked about exile a lot. We've talked about Isaiah a lot on this podcast, but uh, just so that we remember kind of where we are, um, as you said, at this moment where this prophecy comes in from Isaiah 40, Jerusalem has been sacked and the people to whom this prophecy um, is addressed are either refugees or more sort of like war prisoners in Babylon. They've been taken out of Jerusalem, taken away from everything they know, everything that's familiar. All of the meaning-making structures in their lives have been demolished, including the temple structure, which, you know, we would call the church. And they're just sitting there in exile. When this text is spoken, it's notable for a couple of reasons. First off, there is a, a lot of ambiguity going on in this text, especially around this um, idea of voice. It's not always clear who's speaking. It's not really clear how long they speak for, and it's really not even clear to whom they're speaking. Hmm. And one of the reasons I, I bring that up is because, as you said, this is coming from the point where disaster has struck. Up to this point in Isaiah, it's been about avoiding disaster. Here, we are at ground zero of disaster. We could also call that trauma. One of the things that trauma specialists have noted is that people who have undergone great trauma often experience a sense of helplessness in terms of their voice. Um, for some, especially in children, this presents in a really drastic way. They, they become mute and they either cannot or do not speak at all for a long time. For others, there just is this incredibly difficult time putting into words what happened to them. Now, I have not undergone real trauma in terms of this pandemic, but it has been interesting that the longer this has gone on, the more sustained this kind of moment of stress has become. I have a real curious difficulty in answering the question, how are you doing? Um, and, and, you know, it's like, you know, beforehand, I could easily just sort of say like, oh, I'm fine, even if it, it wasn't really true. But when I'm asked that question now, I have this curious little like hiccup in my throat where there's a moment of sort of voicelessness as I try to 
absorb or think of how to describe how I'm doing before my, my, you know, civilized brain kicks in and says, just say you're fine. <laughs> like right. That's all they're really <laughs> asking. <laughs> so I, I, I struggle to find words. I, I struggle to, to have a voice at this moment. So do you see that going on in this text too? Like, um, where, where's, help us see the, the places where this is talking about voicelessness and being able to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we see a, a, a really big kind of chaos of voices in this text. Um, the first one is that God speaks. And that can sound just pretty generic because a lot of the Bible is God speaking, you know, right, so, right. so what? No big deal. <laughs> um, but Fred Geyser, he's an Old Testament prof from Luther Seminary. He talks about how God speaks meaning into existence. This is kind of similar to the chaos of Genesis 1 and how God speaks life into existence. Here, where it's every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God is making stuff happen through the act of speaking. And we actually see that in the psalm, which is assigned for today too, Psalm 85. Um, Fred Geyser talks about how God speaks peace to his people in that psalm. It's just reinforcing this idea that when God speaks, stuff happens. And that's actually one sermon angle that preachers could rely on is how are your folks listening for God to speak in their lives? Because when God speaks, it's not just a, hey, how it's going, or it's not just a, if you want message. When God speaks, the Bible tells us, stuff actually happens. Mm -hmm. So it's good to be listening for that. So that's kind of the first thing is God speaking. And then there's this voice speaking in verse three. In verse six, the prophet is told to speak out. The prophet is told to either proclaim or cry out, something like that. And in 6b, the second part of verse 6, the prophet does speak. And it's almost like their voice is rusty at first and kind of wheezes from disuse because they say, what shall I cry? But as they continue to speak, even though it's kind of this like despairing voice of grass withers, flower fades, the act of speaking gains strength. Because what it does is leads them into this moment of the word of our God will stand forever. So that's another preaching point is just that the act of speaking can lead you to a moment of meaning. Um, even if you're speaking things that seem nihilistic or despairing, whatever it might be, the act of speaking allows the spirit to move in us and to move us to a certain mm -hmm. place. Okay, then comes my favorite part in one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. All right. <laughs> In verse 9, the prophet turns to Zion and tells Zion to speak. So there's a couple of things to note about this. First of all, note that the, the prophet's first action in having regained their voice is to immediately turn to one who still does not have a voice. And for some reason, that made me think of how right now, when we gather together as a worshiping community, we cannot sing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was I was doing some other Advent planning with Bishop Strickland from the Southeast Synod, and he talked about um, cantering these days. You know, people who lead songs during worship is not only singing to people, but is singing on behalf of those who cannot sing for themselves. Yeah. And and when he said that, I started to cry. <laughs> I I miss that so very much. Not being able to sing with those around me. And so the idea of someone giving me a voice through song was incredibly powerful, even if it's just over Zoom or Facebook Live or whatever it might be. 
Mm. Mm. So that's one reason that I think it's really important and interesting. The other reason is how Zion, the person that the prophet turns and tells to speak, how Zion is presented in other places in the Bible. So in the ancient Near East, cities were often portrayed as women, as goddesses. In essence, what happened to Zion, to Jerusalem, if you picture it as a, as a woman, is she was devastated. Her voice was taken away from her. She has been silent for so many years because there's been no one or very few actually living in her or mm -hmm. in it. In verse 9, the prophet turns to Zion and says, Ascend a lofty mountain, O herald of joy, Zion. This is JPS. Raise your voice with power, O herald of joy, Jerusalem. Zion regains her voice, not only as one who is comforted, but as one who becomes comforter. Zion, devastated city, is identified as the herald of good tidings, the one who will announce to all the cities of Judah, here is your God. Hmm. That's really interesting, but I'm reading JPS and it says, O herald of joy to Zion, O herald of joy to Jerusalem. Yeah, they don't like the idea that, uh, for some reason, they don't like the idea that Zion and Jerusalem is the one proclaiming here, but ascend and raise, those verbs are both in the feminine, and Zion and Jerusalem as cities are both feminine. So the only people in that sentence who could be speaking is Zion, is the holy city. In fact, the the word for herald there is a feminine noun. Yeah, exactly. Mavaser is a herald, but this is mevaseret. Yes. So it's the feminine form. And and what's so lovely about that is what Zion is called to proclaim in verse 11 is still very feminine and maternal. Like a shepherd pastures his flock, he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in his bosom. Gently he leads the mother sheep. I love that line so much. Uh -huh. And so what's then lovely about this text where it falls now is that, of course, the gospel text for today, Mark, chooses this text from Isaiah with which to begin the entire accounting of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He does it by quoting the divine voice, God's voice that cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. God's voice that births meaning out of chaos, perhaps doesn't fix the chaos, but brings new life out of it. And, and God's voice that turns to other voices, which may be hoarse and rusty and feel powerless, and yet are transformed into heralds of good tidings by the divine voice itself. It's a gorgeous text. Yeah, this is, and it's, there's even an extra layer of power here. We were talking about this before we recorded, in the way that the prophet here isn't just telling these things to these traumatized people, mm. but the prophet is also speaking as one of them from that place of trauma. So this is this is something where the the prophet has to experience a bit of healing mm -hmm. in order to have that voice awakened in them, in order to call out that voice in the others. Yeah, especially appropriate, I'm assuming, for preachers right now who are feeling the effects of the pandemic and are feeling like, you know, what shall I cry yeah. in the midst of pandemic? How can I cry out hope and good news when what I see around me is all flesh is grass, all the goodness fades like flowers of the field. Mm -hmm. You could translate that. What could I cry out? What could yeah. I proclaim? What could I even say? What is there to say? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It reminds me a little too of that, you know, the gorgeous Advent hymn, um, uh, comfort, comfort now, my people. 
Comfort, comfort now, my people. And I love that last line of it too. Tell them that their war is over. God will reign in peace forever. I just love the idea of when you're in the middle of fighting a war, even though it still rages about you, tell them that their war is over. God will reign in peace forever. There's a really beautiful eschatological hope to this text. Mm-hmm. So we've been already talking about preaching Advent slant. Mm-hmm. And you've really led us into a way of reading this famous comfort, comfort passage with a sense of the place of trauma that it's coming from. And I, I feel like that leads us towards a kind of sermon that really acknowledges the moment that we're in and doesn't just paper over it with sort of like um, comfort, comfort when there is no comfort, peace, yeah. peace when there is no peace. But a, a kind of comfort from God that comes in the midst of trauma, in the middle of yes. it, when it's still ongoing. Very is, good. Is that yeah. where you'd go with this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, I think a lot of people are are, are going to lean heavy into Christmas this year because it, it numbs. That It's the kind of joy and ecstatic joy that numbs. And what I like about this text is it is comfort, but it is not comfort that asks you to separate yourself or escape. From your current moment. It, it gives you voice in the midst of that moment. And, and really, that's the thing that's going to lead to healing is being given voice in the midst of the trauma, not just trying to escape from it. So yeah, lean into that. Maybe, you know, preach, tell Advent slant through exile on this Advent too. So. Mm-hmm. We need some of those Christmas hymns sung in a minor key. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so beautiful. I would love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well done. Uh, Thanks for helping us get into this famous text in a kind of new way. Absolutely. Well, we're halfway through Advent now, but we have another half to come. So stay tuned to the First Reading Podcast. Come back in the weeks to come. Let your friends know that you're listening to us and invite them to check us out as well. You can always find our back episodes on firstreadingpodcast.com as well as our Facebook page. So check us out there. Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Blessings to you, preachers. All the jingle bells will be weird in a minor key. <laughs> jingle bell. Anyway. Jingle all the way. <laughs> <laughs>